Well, it's great to be here. Just so you know, I've been dreaming about this weekend for a long time, since way before you started as a church. Uh, I was with you here uh, the first weekend that you launched. It is just uh, amazing. Even though I'm a thousand miles away, I get to watch from afar all that's going on and see the reports and hear the reports of all God is doing and all you're doing. And I want to tell you how unbelievably awesome you all are. And I, I, want, to, I want to say this about uh, the message today. You know, there are times you preach, there are times you teach, and then there are times you're supposed to deliver the mail. And they're all three different. Um, people get them confused all the time. I'm not going to preach you into a fit. I'm not going to teach you to do something you don't know how to do. Here's what I feel like I'm supposed to do today. To deliver the mail. And, and here's what that means. As I was preparing and, and praying about where the Lord wanted to take us this weekend, it got really obvious very quickly that there were some things he, he uh, wanted to say that I felt and sensed he wanted to say to you as a church. Uh, to encourage, and one of the beautiful things about my relationship with Tim, who's my best friend in the whole world, it always throws people off when we say that we're twins. Uh, I'm just taller than he is, that's the only difference. That's what we tell people. Uh, but one of the, the great things, I planted our church three and a half years ago, and, and in some ways, because we're three years older, than you are. We're ahead. But listen, we, we started with 70 people three and a half years ago, uh, which was only like a tenth of what you had on your first Sunday. So it's, it's, it's not that big. We're, we're close, you know. Uh, I, Tim and I talk about it all the time. One of the, the great gifts that we have, you know, he is older than I am. Now to you, I'll say he's not that much older than me. But to him, I tell him he is so much older than I am. Uh, but one of the benefits about getting to start three years before he did, there are some things that I got to learn uh, about the season that you're in that what I want to do today is give you a different perspective to see what God is doing here. Because sometimes when you're in the middle of something, we don't always have the privilege of seeing it from a different perspective. And so what I want to do today is I, I want to give you some things I sense the Lord is saying to the church. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to three spots this morning, if you can, if you can't. And can I just say, how awesome is it that there's no projector today? Hey, one of the things you learn as a church planner, nothing ever goes the way you think it will. <laughs> nothing. Here's why, now, now I'll kind of prove to you, I want to give you a different perspective about where you are as a church. One way to look at not having a projector is to be frustrated that you can't sing along with the songs you don't know. That's one way. Or you can look at it the way I think the Lord looks at it. And I think this is the way God stands over us because there's a moment in worship this morning towards the end where you, you just sense the king stand up. Amen. And here's how I think the Lord looks at this morning with no projector. Really? You, really, you people are still going to go in? Without the words, and you're not even sure where the song is going next, you're still going to chase after me? You, you mean your worship is not predicated upon your circumstances, but your commitment? How do you think God will respond to a group of people who don't care whether or not the projector works? I'll tell you, he'll stand even taller. He will stand even taller. So, to me, the fact that the projector didn't work is probably the most romantic thing that could have happened today. 
It's God, I'm worshiping you whether the screen works or not. I don't need to know the words to the song. I've got a song in my heart. I will sing along. So here's my goal today. I want to help you look at something just like that a little bit differently. All right? So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to three different spots. I'm going to read these things. So if you don't have your Bible, it's okay. Uh, But Galatians chapter 6, Joshua chapter 3, Deuteronomy 8. Galatians chapter 6, we'll start there. We're going to get to Joshua chapter 3, and then we'll finish in Deuteronomy chapter 8. The title of this message today is Right Here, Right Now. Right here, right now. The question isn't just what is God saying to us right here, right now. The bigger question is what is my response to what God is saying right here, right now. And I want to give you three things I sense the Lord saying to Embassy City Church right here in this season where you're in. And here's point number one. This is the first thing, all right? Plow the ground he's already given you. Plow the ground he's already given you. Now, I'm about to make a statement that when, when a preacher makes this statement, everybody loves to get all riled up and excited, all right? Here's the statement. I wholeheartedly believe that God desires to do some extremely big things through Embassy City Church in 2016. I wholeheartedly believe God desires to do some new things at Embassy City Church in 2016. And when we hear those things, those statements, we get all excited. Yes, yes, bigger in this new year. New things in this new year. Can't wait to see the bigger. Can't wait to experience the new. Everybody gets all riled up until they see the size of the plow they're going to have to push to clear the field before they experience the harvest. We love to talk about how big the harvest is that's coming, but nobody loves to talk about the plow. In fact, many of us look at the plow as though it were a curse. Anytime we talk about plowing, and if you're to be honest, if you've walked with the Lord for, for quite some time, you know you're guilty of this statement or this thought. Plowing is for new believers. Because I've walked with the Lord for 25 years now, and I'm, I'm more spiritual management at this point. <laughs> I don't put my hand to the plow. That, that was when I first got saved. You know, you kind of, you plow, and then you sow, and now I'm in the harvest. I don't plow anymore. I hope to God you never say those words, because if you ever find yourself saying, I don't plow anymore, you need to hear God's response then you don't harvest anymore. You can make that statement, I don't plow anymore, but you need to know the statement he makes after you say that, then you don't harvest anymore. There's no such thing as a prepackaged harvest. We have to plow. Listen, why do we see plowing as though it were a curse or discipline from God? The Bible says God disciplines those whom he loves, right? Okay, now I want you to think about this. If discipline is for those he loves, then I think plowing is for those he trusts. So then why do we look at the plow and call it a curse? Do you wanna know where Embassy City Church is? Right here, right now, in the season of the plow. In the season of the plow. You're not gonna find much better soil in your lifetime to plow and sow into than this church right here, right now. 
And I'm not just talking about financial, I'm talking about your gifts, your time. This is some of the best soil. And trust me, the field, and it's not about how many people come to church here. It's about what God wants to do here. This is good ground, but listen closely. Any good ground God gives must first be plowed. Sometimes we look at the plow and call it a curse. And you even hear people say, I just feel like I've been plowing forever. And I'm just starting to think, the reason I've been plowing for so long is this is just hard ground, and maybe I should find a different field. Because the longer I plow, the harder the ground. No! The longer you plow, the bigger the field. It's a little perspective change. I remember one time I was, I was counseling with a man years ago who was telling me he was about to leave his wife. And he, he was already uh, messing around with a younger woman. And I, I said, has there been abuse? Has there been adultery? He said, no. I said, then what grounds do you have to divorce your wife? And here was his answer. Because it's just too hard living with her. It's so much easier living with her. Now, I want you to understand what he just did. He just indicted himself and the wrong relationship. Of course it's easier to live with her. She's a small field. Of course it's harder to live with her. This is a field so big, you're supposed to spend the rest of your life stewarding it and reaping the harvest that comes from it. So don't tell me, I just want to find an easy, and here's what's crazy. When somebody says, when related to marriage, I just, it's so much easier to live with this person over here. It's just so hard. It's so much work over here. Here's what I've learned. So they divorce the, the successful, big, large, blessed field that God gives, and they move over to a small field, and here's what happens. A year or two goes by, and they begin to regret the decision, and they long for the challenge that came with the bigger field. But the flesh always wants to find the path of least resistance. And so, let's just shoot real straight with each other, all right? Because I know this is how Tim does it. He's the most vulnerable preacher I've ever met in my entire life. Here's one of the things I learned about planning a church. We spent 20 months in the Scottsdale Center for the Performing Arts. One of the most beautiful buildings in the city of Scottsdale. And it was getting time to move out of that building, and we needed to find somewhere we could be uh, on a daily basis. And there was a building that came available. Six other churches had met there, and all six of them shut down. That's how awesome this building was. <laughs> it was a rat hole. I mean a rat hole. It was, I hate to say this about a church, but I called it Godforsaken. <laughs> and I said to the Lord, I am not moving there. Have you ever noticed when you use the words, I'm not, how often he stands up and says, I am? <laughs> Have you ever noticed that before? Yeah. Well, he stood tall that day. Yes, you are. Well, we've been there for about 18 months now. You saw who won that battle. Here's what's crazy. So we started with 70 people. Okay. It took us a year to get to 150. Now, I want you to look around. Look around. This isn't even six months old. There are more than twice that many people in this room right here, right now. Another way to say that, what's happening right here, right now, is not normal. 
So please don't see it as such. It took us a year to get to 150 people. For 20 months, we stayed in this building and we got to 250, 260 people. Felt the Lord saying, it's time for you to find a, a, a more permanent place. We moved to the rat hole and an amazing thing happened. In 12 months, we quadrupled in size. And here's one of the things I learned. People would rather have a ratty apartment they can call home than borrow somebody else's house and have to move out. But, but here's something I learned. Because I, I remember asking the Lord, how did we quadruple? We haven't changed anything but our location. And here's one of the, the real answers. Because a lot of people don't like this season of the church, the church planting season, the plowing season. And so here's what people will say. I'll see you when you have a building because I don't rap chords. I sing into chords. I'll be here when the chords aren't moving every Sunday. And that's okay. That's all right. But let me help you see it a little bit differently. Do you know what that means about you? You said, I don't need the mansion. I don't need the place. I just want to know, God, are you here? Then I'll be there. That's special. The projector doesn't work. There's no moving lights. And all of that is great. It's wonderful. But it's also wonderful to be able to fall in love with a woman when she doesn't wear makeup. A lot of people stay away from church plants because they don't want to plow. There's two ways to look at that. Shame on them. How awful are they? Jesus, I love you enough, I'm going to plow. That's one way, hyper-spiritually, to look at it. I think there's a better way. The less people there are to plow, the more I get to plow. See, we look at a year and we say, God, I'm believing this is the year of the harvest. And I think at the same time, God stands there and says, I'm just hoping this is the year of the plow, Preston. Because son, I want you to know, I make it rain wherever you plow. Now let me show you that in the Bible, because I didn't just make that up. <laughs> Psalm chapter 65, verse 10, speaking of God, you drench the plowed ground with rain. Do you know what that means? If you'll be faithful to plow in the field where God places you, God will make it rain. Isn't that funny that that's a phrase the world uses, make it rain? <laughs> and yet it came out of the Bible. It's God's way of saying, you want me to make it rain? You go plow first. You'll see my response. You'll see my response. <laughs> Look at what the second half of that verse says. Uh, in Psalm 65, verse 10, you drench the plowed ground with rain, melting the clods and leveling the ridges. Sometimes we, we look at a mountain and we want to just be able to say, be thrown into the sea, you know, as we read in, in the New Testament. One of the ways a mountain will move, according to Scripture, is when God makes it rain. When does God make it rain? When I first plow. Now, let me teach you a little bit about plowing. I don't even know if I'm going to make it to my third point, and that's going to be okay, because we just need to talk about plowing for a little bit. Because so many people see it as such a bad thing. And since this is where the church is right now, 
This, it's, it's beneficial to understand plowing. Here's what you need to understand. The most important row in any field is the first one. And the first row always takes the longest to plow. So here's how it would go. In biblical times, before there was GPS and people could just punch in some coordinates and start drawing you know, a bunch of cool figures in a field, before there was all that, here, here's how they did it old school. They would find a tree off in the distance and they would align themselves with the tree in the distance and they would move slowly and gradually fixing their gaze on the tree, on the ground, on the tree, on the ground, on the tree, on the ground. And if they got a little bit off, the tree was always there to help them get back. Interesting enough, what does the Bible say our Savior died upon? A tree in the distance, and it moved slowly in the first row. Now, let's get back to where's Embassy City Church right now? In the middle of row number one. Some people might get frustrated with how slowly row number one is moving. Let me tell you something I've learned. When I was in the middle of row number one in Scottsdale, I would say to the Lord, I just can't wait until I hear you say, next row. I just want to get done with row number one. I'm sick of row number one. Give us row number two. But something happened about two and a half years in when I felt the Lord say, next row. I got to the end of the row. And he says, next row. And I had spent probably the better half of two and a half years saying, Give me the next row. Give me the next row. And by the time he said next row, here was my response. I don't know that we're ready for the next row. Can I go back and make sure that this row is straight? And here's why row number one is the most important. Because every row after row number one runs parallel to the first. So you want to know why row number one here at Embassy City Church is moving at the pace that it is? Because many churches, when they first start, the pastor gets sucked into trying to draw a crowd because everyone always asks him, how many people you running? How many people you running? So the flesh could make it really easy and turn this into a hype fest. And Timmy could do that. That's what, I'm sorry, I, every once in a while I'll accidentally call him that, Pastor Tim. That, that's, he could do that. Just push the button and make it into a hype fest. And, and let me show you what row number one looks like in a church plant when it's turned into a hype fest, okay? Now remember, the goal is to find the tree in the distance and to move slowly. But here's what happens in a church plant when row number one is a hype fest. Halfway through the first row, we don't even know where we are anymore. Why? Because we stopped looking at the tree in the distance. So let me ask you this question. Do you spend more time looking at the ground you're plowing in your life or more time looking at the tree off in the distance? Galatians chapter 6 says it like this. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. 
Doesn't talk about plowing yet. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. Verse nine, and let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Verse nine, I believe is speaking to plowing because that's where many of us lose heart because the plowing takes so long. Listen, the plowing takes so long not because the ground is wrong or hard. It's taking so long because the field is so big. The bigger the field, the more the work. Embassy City Church is in the season of the plow. And here's really good news. You have many fields in your life. One of the great things about God is he gives you a different season for every field. Do you know how miserable you'd be if every field in your life you were having to plow? Sometimes at work, in that field, you're experiencing a harvest. And at home, you're plowing. Sometimes in one relationship, you're sowing. And in another relationship, you're reaping. It's part of the beauty of of having a diversified portfolio. Here's what I'd say if you feel like you're plowing in any field in your life. You need to be more excited about plowing than you do, than you get about harvesting. Because the more you plow, the more room you make for the harvest. And here's what I'd say to you. I feel this is what God is saying to Embassy City right now. Don't let go of the plow. Plow the ground. We don't need to pray about taking more ground. God always gives us more ground when we plow the ground he's already given us. And let me say this to those of you who volunteer and get here early and stay late to tear down. Let me say this. Some of you are praying for a new field. You want to know one of the best ways to receive a new field from the Lord? Step into somebody else's field and help them plow their field according to what God's called them to do. And watch how God responds in giving you your field the season you've been dreaming of simply because you chose to be faithful in someone else's field while they plow. Don't let go of the plow. Here's the second thing, and this is probably all I'm gonna be able to get to. The second thing, purify yourself before you move ahead. Joshua chapter three, the Israelites are about to cross over the Jordan and go into the promised land. And Joshua makes, I believe, one of the most brilliant statements in scripture. He says to the people, and and you can read it, it's chapter 3, verse 5. Joshua says to the people, right before they're going to cross the Jordan, he says, purify yourselves today, for tomorrow God is going to do something amazing among us. One of the most brilliant statements, I believe, in Scripture. Want to know why? Here's what Joshua was saying. Before you step into this new season, there are some things from the old season you need to wash off. There are some things you used to do in Egypt that you're not going to be able to get away with in Canaan. There are some ways that you used to think in Egypt that you're not going to be allowed to think that way in Canaan. Here's why it's so brilliant for God to say to the Israelites, before you step into the promised land, purify yourself. Because God knows the problem that yesterday's filth creates for the fun we're supposed to have tomorrow. Yesterday's filth always gets in the way of tomorrow's fun. 
And it's never fun to deal with yesterday's filth until you realize how much more fun tomorrow is if you deal with yesterday's filth. I'll, I'll try to explain it this way. Uh, a couple weeks ago, my wife had her birthday, uh, and we are going to her favorite restaurant, the most expensive restaurant my children have ever been to, okay? And Holly says to my kids, to my boys especially, I have a 13-year-old daughter uh, who doesn't step outside without having a shower and putting makeup on. Then I have an eight-year-old and nine-year-old boy, uh, two boys, uh, who I'm not even sure know what a shower is. (laughs) And Holly said, "Uh, boys, you need to clean up and get dressed up before we go to the restaurant. And five minutes later, the boys come out in ratty sweatpants that I guarantee you hadn't been washed. Their favorite t-shirt that was grimy and had, you know, wiping their mouth from pizza the, the, at lunchtime. And they come out with stinky tennis shoes. Mommy, I'm ready. Holly's wearing this beautiful dress. She said, boys, you're not ready to go. She said, Tyler, did you take a shower? And this child looked at her like, why would I do that? <laughs> She said, go back, take a shower, and put your nice clothes on. Why did my wife say that to my children? Because the nicer the restaurant, the deeper the cleaning process. You don't show up to the most expensive restaurant the same way you drive through Whataburger and grab my favorite hamburger. (laughs) And it's not a presentation. It's a protocol. One of the best pieces of advice I can give you in any area of your life before you step into a new season is purify yourself before you make the transition. Don't go into the newest, nicest season you've ever stepped into spiritually, relationally, in any area of your life wearing yesterday's ratty clothes. So let me give you a little bit of homework. This week, I want you to ask yourself before the Lord this question. What could most get in the way of me experiencing everything God wants to do for me in this next season of my life. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's a mentality. Here's what I would say. Purify yourself. And the word purify means to purge, to purge it out. Want to know why we have altar ministry here every week? Every service. Here's why. Because the church should be the safest place to puke out yesterday's filth. Why would I move on to tomorrow holding on to yesterday's dirty baggage? But here's what we convince ourselves of. I can't go down for altar ministry because people people will think I have issues. You do have issues. (laughs) And so do I. And we all need prayer. Here's what we convince ourselves of, though. I can't take a spiritual shower. Everyone's going to know I'm dirty. Listen, you're only really dirty when you refuse to take a shower. Joshua says to the people, listen, our lives are about to completely change. But before they do and before we go in, let's take a moment and prepare by purifying ourselves. Where do you need to go through a little bit of purification Don't be in such a hurry to move into the next season that you carry things God never intended 
to cross the threshold into that, into that land. Don't take it with you. Purify yourself. I, I want to give you one more thing. I, I'm not going to get to my third point. I'm going to give you one more thing that I want you to think about to help you kind of see what God is doing here from maybe a different perspective than you already do. And I know you appreciate it. I, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just giving you a, a, just a little different perspective. Months ago, years ago, God said to Pastor Tim, I want Embassy City Church, and I want it in Irving, and I want it now. And Tim looked around for a home that could be Embassy Cities and couldn't find one. There was no empty church. There was no church he could even lease. So he looked everywhere else, and you know what he found? He found a stable called Jackie Singley Academy. And that is not to disrespect this place in any way. It is a beautiful stable. But it's in the stable where the projectors don't work sometimes. And here's what happened. A bunch of people got together and said, I'm not waiting for the mansion. God, if you're in that stable, I'll be found there too. I remember when I told the Lord I didn't want to move into that building. And after we were just growing leaps and bounds and it was clear I was wrong and he was right. I said, Lord, I, I don't get it. This place is hideous. And it's not like it has to be gorgeous, but if you saw this place, it was so bad before we started paint. We had to paint the entire building. We had to re-carpet. I mean, I, I thought people had died on the carpet. There were bloodstains everywhere. <laughs> and I said, Lord, this place is hideous. And yet we're growing leaps and bounds. And I'll never forget what I sense the Lord say. Preston, if a manger, and he just let it sit for a second. If a manger was good enough for my son, then I'm pretty sure this place you call a rat hole is good enough for me. You want to know what's happening here at this church? A bunch of incredible people found a stable, and they're doing everything they can to keep their hands on the plow, to plow every square inch of the ground at this stable in preparation for anything God wants to do. And if you want to know how I think God's going to respond to this special group of people humbly meeting in a stable until they can find a home, I think God's going to render you speechless. And I think he's going to prove a point to you that if you'll just put your head down and keep plowing the ground he's given you, you will see his response and it will be exceedingly abundantly above anything you asked for, let alone even thought he would do. Why? Because he loves to make it rain on the ground you plow. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to have a little more song of worship. And during that time, we're, we have some people at the front of this room to pray with anybody that needs prayer. And in a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. 
When I'm done praying, I'm going to have everybody stand. And if you need prayer for anything at all, maybe you're frustrated in a field where you've been plowing for years and you just need a little bit of encouragement. Can I ask you a, a, a simple question? Why would you come to church needing encouragement and leave without getting the encouragement God wanted to give you? Come pray with somebody in a moment. Be encouraged. Be reminded. God's not turning you into a slave with the plow. He's preparing you for a harvest you can't wrap your mind around. And that's why you can't lose heart and let go of the plow. And yes, there are going to be stones in the soil every once in a while. Keep plowing. If you need prayer for anything at all, whether it relates to the message or not, it doesn't matter. We'd love to pray with you. Holy Spirit, I pray right now for every person here. Lord, this is crazy what's happening here. And no place is perfect, never will be till we get to heaven. But Lord, it is amazing what you're doing here and what these people are doing on your behalf and, and doing for you. It's crazy, it's not normal. And I pray God today that you'd remind every person here that there may be some areas of their lives where they look at it one way and you see it totally differently. God, would you give us your perspective for every field in our lives? Give us your perspective of that teenager who may be going through a little bit of a rebellious time. Give us your perspective of that field called our job where things aren't going anywhere close to what we thought they would. Give us your perspective in our marriages. Give us your perspective in our callings. God, give us your perspective. I pray, Lord, for every person who puts their hand to the plow for your kingdom. God, I ask you to open up the windows of heaven and spend the rest of their life here on earth and all eternity overwhelming them with your richest blessings. In a selfish culture, God, for anyone who will selflessly pick up the plow, would you bless them in a supernatural way that they could never take credit for. God, I pray your blessing on this church. I know it's already there. I ask you to double down in 2016. Bless these people that you love so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?